0: to the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show. I am your host, Joe Sebelia. Please do me a favor and hit subscribe before we get started. That way you can be up to date on all our latest videos. If you are listening to this podcast on the audio versions, please head on over to YouTube and find us, search the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show, and you'll see all these conversations in video format. This week's guest has uh, sold over 4 million albums worldwide. He is the only American inducted into the Norwegian Popular Music Hall of Fame. And he has also uh, won a Norwegian Grammy. He did all this with his band TNT. He is lead singer, Tony Harnell. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, Tony, so let's start with, um, I want to know a little bit about when you were in San Diego and uh, becoming a skateboarder, because I never knew this. I I used to be in the BMX and... you know, flatland and stuff. I didn't know that you were a professional skateboarder.
1: Yeah, I was, I, uh, I was just really a California kid. You know, I, I loved surfing, skateboarding that I just was very absorbed in that whole thing. And, uh, I loved it. I just really, really loved it. I loved living. I loved growing up there. I loved living there. And I, I just, uh, really took advantage of the weather and everything but um yeah I started skating um when I was probably about 12 or 13 on a really crappy (laughs) you know wooden thing with clay wheels and then you know around the mid 70s they started to it started to kind of take take hold and, and it started to get really popular and they started improving the equipment and the wheels were suddenly made of urethane and we right. all had to have, you know, the new stuff. And, uh, and at some point, um, you know, I moved a lot as a kid and all, all mostly all over California and, uh, except for one little six month stint in, uh, in Europe. Hmm. But, um, when I was quite young, but, uh, but when we moved back to Southern California, um, to Burbank to be specific before I got back down to San Diego, which is where I was born. Um, the school I went to, it was like just everybody was either a jock or a skateboarder. <laughs> so, right, right. so I, I was already kind of skating. I wasn't kind of, I was really skating. And then I just kind of fell into it, made some friends or skaters. And I, I just got to, we were skating all the time. So we, we, we got really good um, little group of friends that I had. And my dad uh, was a sports photographer and photojournalist and right. uh, primarily sports he did he did do news stuff but and he just he flipped out over the whole thing He's, we were taking him to the empty pools and so uh he started shooting us and submitting our you know the shots to magazines wow and, fun and then he his kind of um career took off as a skate photographer and because he was taking shots of us that was the catalyst for me turning pro for a short period of time just a
0: short short time how how
1: come you didn't pursue it you know i was 15 um when i turned pro and uh i competed in the very first in the whole world i think it was the very first uh professional pool competition skateboard Hmm. covered by everybody and all the all the companies and so forth and um it was nineteen seventy. Well, <laughs> but um and uh, I hated competing. I, really? I I thought I was going to like it. I hated it, and uh, so what? I did. I did. I just uh, I don't like competition. I really mm-hmm. don't. And it's probably why I, I ended up choosing music. You know because. Um, I just, it's an art form. It's some people try to make it into a competition, but I I see it as like a a matter of preference, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But with, with skating, yeah, I did the one competition and I, I, I still was a pro. I had a couple, you know, cool companies sponsoring me, gullwing trucks. And, um, they were the one that I really kind of stuck with after that. And, And then I just sort of, uh, was a pro that would skate at a few skate parks in San Diego and kind of skate with the younger kids you
0: know okay okay were you were you doing the ramps or was it just oh no i was doing ramps and i was mostly vertical i was doing uh, the pools the skate parks
1: with the uh you know they used to stay in the seven i mean they still have the pools and the new skate parks but back then it was all about the pool yeah yeah and we were skating backyard pools and we were skating uh the skate parks which had half pipes and ramps rules. Yeah. So it was all about about the vertical stuff, you know, geez, can you still do it? You know, there's a skate park (laughs) near me. Um uh, where I am now. And, uh, I've been, I went, I've gone down a few times and watched the guys and spoken to a few of the older skaters and they're like, do it, man. You know, and some of my, I still have friends, uh, from the skate days in, in California and, um, and they're like, it'll come back, man. You know, and I'm like, yeah, but before it comes back, I might bust my ass. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> I tried to, uh, as I mentioned, I used to ride BMX and stuff and I tried to, I got on my kid's bike and i tried to do some i think i tried to do a tail whip and the bike flung around and hit me in the shin cut my shin open first first time on the bike <laughs> told my kid i was like it's all right don't worry cuz i had blood coming down my shin it was awful yeah that was yeah. the last I mean, time i got on it yeah that's that's the the problem is if
1: i did choose to do it um and i might um i would be fully
0: equipped helmet yeah. pads <laughs> yeah sure sure So at that time, I mean, were you into music at all? Oh yeah, Um, music,
1: I've been, I started singing when I was probably about four or five years old Um, and maybe younger, you know, I just don't remember it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I started, uh, I I became, I just like fell in love with Glenn Campbell. He was my first idol and um, he was really popular at the time. He was starting to get really big. His TV show came up, you know, was on and uh, (laughs) I just got, I had every album, I asked for every album that he that he had out at the time, and I learned all the songs, I listened to it, I sang everything. Um, my grandmother, when I was living with her, when I was young for periods of time, my mom was an opera singer, that was one of the reasons mm-hmm. we moved around a lot. Um, but uh, my grandmother would invite her friends over, and my teachers, and I'd get these little mini Glenn Campbell concerts, you know, to the records, I'd sing Right. A lot yeah right so yeah music was always there and my mom even though she was an opera singer she um she had a she for pleasure she listened to the Beatles and all the folk music that was going on in the 60s and um and 70s and uh
0: so I absorbed everything you know Mm -hmm. okay okay and then you moved away from California in your after high school was it yeah um
1: So I finished high school early, mostly out of frustration and uh, just tired of moving around and being in, like, two or three schools in one year sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know. And so when – in California at the time, I don't know what it's like now. Yeah, if you were 16 and in 11th grade, you could take the uh, – they called it the proficiency exam, but it's GED, Mm -hmm.
0: you know. Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, I didn't tell my, my, my dad, I was actually at that point I was with him and I just went into the counselor and said, I'm taking this test because <laughs> I, <laughs> my test. birthday was in September and I turned 16 in, in the beginning of 11th grade. So, um, right after that, I went, I went in and said, give me the test and, yeah. and I took it really fast. It felt like it at the time and, uh, and left and I didn't go back to school. I just started, you know, I, I, cause you know, I mean, skateboarding was, was the thing that there's a lot of pictures. I mean, a few pictures of me out there doing that, but yeah. um, my love, deeper love was surfing and that's okay. actually, I wanted to pursue that for real and be a pro surfer, you know, but um, so I, I quit, I quit, I got my diploma. I went to uh, back to San Diego and uh, my mom had already moved to New York. Um, she was, you know, still pursuing her career. She was only, my mom was quite young when she had me. So when I was 16, she was 36, you know? Okay. Um, So so my grandparents were like, uh, well, you're not going to be a surfer. Uh, I got a job in San Diego and I was like getting really good because I was surfing every day and uh, that was my focus. And they were like, well, you know, you're going to be 17 in September and what do you... You know, what do you want to do? So they gave me a choice. Stay here. Go to college. We'll we'll, you know, help you with that or go to go to New York. So um, for some weird reason, I chose New York and you were done with school. Yeah, I, I regret it. Yeah, but, you know, I, I kind of, when I got to New York, I was like, what have I done? You know? right. But I, I fell in
0: love with the city eventually. But uh, yeah. And then you went to, you did go to school a little bit in New York, right? I did. I, I got a scholarship because thanks for, uh, wow, you
1: did some research. Um, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> uh, my dad was, uh, as I said, was a photographer. So those were my two interests, music, well, surfing, music, and and photography. Hmm. So I had a portfolio from high school. And uh, my mom had a friend that uh, was a professor at um, Long Island University, and uh, she gave it to him and he, he brought it in and showed whoever was in charge. And they gave me a, scholar, a four-year scholarship for my portfolio. But in those first six months, so I turned 17, started college, and then in those first six months, um, I uh, was discovered, I guess, uh, as a singer. Um, and I wasn't singing in a a, a gig. I mean, I've told this story yeah many times before, um, where I was driving my car. Yeah. Yeah. And the guys sort of came over and said, are you the guy that's been singing around the neighborhood? Right. They heard you through the, through the buildings. Yeah. So, uh, and and they invited me to rehearse and I did. And I'm Honestly, that one night of rehearsing, just the you know the smells and the equipment and the sound, hearing my voice on
0: you
1: know
0: on a PA system, Uh I was I was it was done. I was done. I was it. What I was going to do? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what kind of smells you were smelling, but back in my day, our warehouse smelled like rotten beer. It probably did. (laughs) It probably did, and and it probably smelled like you know like just gear. You know yeah
1: no there's, yeah, there's, yeah. there's a smell mm. and um just the whole thing you know the guys were there they had their girlfriends and yeah you know everybody was like yeah it was a thing and and they loved what i was doing it was like instant like wow and i was like oh i'm getting this reaction okay i mean because i had sung a lot privately in my car and room and where you know but i didn't really let any i didn't even let my friends hear me um why not in California and not, uh, not
0: in New York. My mom th- heard me, but yeah. Did you just think you, you weren't that great of a singer or, I mean, why, no, why'd I, you keep it quiet? I,
1: I, I felt that I, that I was, that I maybe had something, you know, uh-huh. and I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, but I, I don't know. I, I, I suppose I didn't take it seriously. I thought, oh gosh, I can't pursue music. That's sure. crazy. You know? Um. But from that moment on, it was uh, you know I don't take uh, as people who know me well know um, I don't always take criticism well. So no, no, <laughs> uh, and so I was sort of um, I think that was part of of not wanting to show anybody is okay. what if what if it's you know what if it's not as good as I think
0: you know <laughs> yeah
1: yeah yeah are, so, are you better about that these days? Uh, well, I think with age you just stop caring as much right. you know
0: about yeah. about what people think in general you know yeah sure sure so you get in this band and then you just decided to leave school altogether or did you try and do both
1: well in those first six months it went from uh from them sort of playing the game with me of well you're young and they were young and inexperienced but they were sort of like well you know um i'm like can i be in the band you know because i (laughs) I, and uh, of course they did but we didn't play any gigs um but it started the i guess uh, pattern for me of uh of of learning and outgrowing a band
0: mm-hmm. and then finding
1: a better band right right so you kind of so knew I, what you wanted well once i once i once i started it was a, it was just you know there wasn't any it was sort of like this internal thing of uh we're we're doing this
0: mm-hmm.
1: we're not we're not i and this is, you know, this is kind of like, I was, it wasn't enough for me to be, well, it was eventually, but um, a good skater, I had to be a pro, I wanted to be a pro skater, you know, until I realized I don't like competing, but, but the point was, I had, it wasn't to me, it wasn't, nothing was worth doing, if I was, if I couldn't be really good at it, Mm. and, and that carried over into, uh, into the music, so that when I started, and it was like, getting great reactions. It was just kind of like, all right, well, then I'm just going to work on this and get better and better. And, and, you know, learn from the people around me. And then when I feel I can't learn more, I want better people, you know? Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. Where, where did you get that drive from? Were were your parents like that? Were your grandparents? Probably just lack of attention (laughs) from my
1: (laughs) 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 Probably just wanting, uh, wanting attention. Uh, I guess I didn't know that, that that wasn't a conscious thought, but I don't know. Um, I suppose, um, I suppose, though, there is some truth in what I'm saying. I suppose there was a, you know, desire to be admired and to be um, uh, thought well of uh, Mm -hmm. talent wise, um, you know, and 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 so it just sort of became. It just became a thing. So then uh, by the time the first semester was over, um, I had probably already been through at least one more band um and i I went into uh the counselor and i said you know i like (laughs) photography a lot and i think i could be good at it but they're both difficult careers Mm -hmm. and i just feel like i already have a head start with music because i'm getting this reaction from everybody so um so she I think it was a woman she said uh, well why don't you just change your major to music and i was like no nah, i'm just gonna go do it you just know it. going
0: for it <laughs> yeah so yeah that's what happened so so becoming a, a great singer like yourself is that i mean a lot of that's got to be natural right you have to have that or is that something that can be learned or taught i think it's just it, it's a little bit of everything
1: i mean For example, your vocal cords have to be a certain a certain way, a certain shape, a certain whatever to produce, you know, quality Um, and uh, and your ear has to be good. You have to Mm -hmm. be able to um, duplicate or emulate what you're hearing. Um, And that's how you get good. I mean, my my training before I had a vocal coach was was listening intently and singing along with my favorite artists. And uh, and that's what made me most most singers will probably tell you that, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I was my ear was very, very and is very sharp. And I think that um, probably got that from my mom, you know, sure. Uh, I sure. mean, she was she was uh, 19 when she had me and she was, uh, you know, going to her voice lessons and singing all the time. So I probably You're was
0: starting. Yeah, I was absorbing all of that and then came out and music was everywhere. So Right. Yeah. Okay. And then so you went through a few bands in New York before um Mike Varney found you, right?
1: Uh he was very instrumental. Yeah. Um what uh so I just kind of I went from band to band. I, I was uh my first professional band was was in the Philadelphia area. Um I was living in a building in uh, in Staten Island, of all places. Um, I love Staten Island for people that live there. I don't have an issue with it, but yeah. it's, a, it's a weird place um, you know, to live. Uh, but we lived in a high rise and there was a doorman who was a musician. He was a bass player. And I was singing in the apartment all the time and playing guitar and he heard me sing. And um, he told some really good musicians that were looking for a singer about me and uh, they were going to the Philadelphia, South Jersey area to join a pre-existing band. So there were two guys from New York and like three guys from down there. And they were like merging and they brought me down and they had a singer. So they brought me down because they were just like they sold me, you know, to them. And I guess they, they played some. I, I was making demos as often as I could. Uh, and so there were a few demos I had. So anyway, I got there. And we we started rehearsing, and uh, it was going really well. And we auditioned for this agent that everybody wanted to be with because booking all the all the good clubs down there. And the agent said, um, "We we don't need the other guy, <laughs> so oh. they just just keep the kid." You know, yeah. Um, yeah. I was I was still seventeen, so um, they were, and and at that point, I think the, the drinking age was eighteen still. Right, right. So, so they were sneaking me in uh, to the venues. And we were playing like four nights a week, like three sets a night. Oh, wow. So I got good. <laughs> you know, I yeah, mean, I, I bet. I got experienced.
0: Let's put it that mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then how did you run into the TNT guys? How, how'd that come together?
1: So, so I did the the stint uh, down there. And then I came back to New York. And I, I was in and out of a few bands. And I landed in a great band called The Jackals. Not to mm-hmm. be confused with Jackal. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And uh, the drummer in the jackals actually is uh, was Johnny Tempesta. John Tempesta, who's right. now now with the cult. He was with uh, Testament um, Rob Zombie, um, mm-hmm. great drummer. So he and I were in that band, uh, and a great guitar player named Walter Garces and a great bass player, Brian Cody. And um, we were you know playing this uh, some great venues, getting a lot of people, but good buzz on the band. And one night we played a venue in New York in the city and um, two guys came backstage with a cassette, introduced themselves. Uh, one guy was managing TNT and he lived in Long Island. So they, they met, they signed with an American manager. Hmm. And, uh, and Barney and um, they explained to me the band, told me about the band. And they said, somehow, some way, they, they got a demo of yours and um they were uh, like from the story i've heard is that they had a plane ticket already booked for gary barden who uh was in michael shanker mm-hmm. and he was gonna be the singer um because they fired the original tnt singer right. mid, mid-album mid-recording of nights of the new right country. so they gave me the cassette one side was just music the other side was the vocals and and listen to everything you can rewrite stuff you know you can make a your voice uh so i went home and i lived with my bass player at the time and um and uh, we listened to uh to the first you know these few things i don't know what we looked, but okay let's just say that the first thing we heard was seven Seas, was the rip okay. for seven season and we we you know i was just like are you kidding me like this is everything that i've been wanting you know I was right a that's a big what looking big, for. big fan of the scorpions i still am
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and and most of my i loved american music but most of my metal and hard rock was european so okay. either, either british or european bands i loved all those bandenburg and accept
0: and and scorpions and you know all just all that what, stuff. what year was this 84 okay so so metal in the u.s probably didn't really take off yet right i mean it was kind of it was it was
1: yeah no it was it was their rap was big
0: um but it was motley just getting motley going crew.
1: yeah motley crew was was starting to get big mm-hmm. um you know um quiet riot of course had their mm. their hit like a sure. year 83 or something and the uh, um big album that they had and then um ozzy of course you know uh right. so there, there was there was quite a few i mean dio and sabbath and all that was had happened earlier and mm-hmm. dio had his out a couple albums out by that time so. so
0: so what kept you from going back to california when that was starting to take off um you mean the music thing uh the metal thing yeah uh, instead of instead of going to to norway why not back to california I don't, that's a good question. I don't know. I think it's
1: because I had established something in New York and mm-hmm. uh, people kind of were starting to, were starting to know about me. And I had, uh, you know, uh, paid my dues there and played a lot of venues. Uh, that mm-hmm. people know, that I played Lemoore, which is a famous venue. I, I played, uh, you know, whatever venue, Great Gilder Sleeves in New York city. I played, you know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I was playing, trying to play all of the places that were, known. Yeah. And um so there so I I don't know it, it just I I don't remember if it occurred to me. It probably did because I always wanted to go back. Um but I I guess I was just on a on a roll.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you go over to it was Norway where you went, right?
1: Yeah, so I so I took
0: so I, we you know, I listened to the cassette and um
1: you know, of course, I was living with the bass player in the band I was in. And if I right. said yes, I'd be leaving that band yeah. probably. And I just sort of didn't. So I tried not to act too excited about what I was hearing. And he said, what do you think? And I said, oh, it's pretty good. And he goes, come on. <laughs> you know. He's like, he's like, come on, you got to go. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I said. So oh, like, all right. <laughs> yeah, I, I did go. And funny little side note, I, I had to um, renew my passport because I hadn't Traveled overseas, and, and since I was uh, pretty young, and um when I was in line, and again, summer of '84, when I was in line to get the passport, Madonna, who was freshly
0: famous, yeah, was in line getting her passport, getting her passport, yeah, to take over the world. Yep. <laughs> wow, that's yeah. a fun story right there. Yeah, yeah. So once you get over there. Um, you, they already gave you the gig without you even coming over there, right? Pretty much.
1: Yeah, they okay. they, they made a big investment. Um, the manager that they had, um, he uh, he was kind of, uh, I don't know what the word would be. I guess he was trying to groom me a little mm-hmm. bit um, and, uh, you know, getting me on the phone with them over there and, uh, you know, sending pictures and so mm-hmm. on. And so okay. And, um, and they, they, you know, they invested in. Uh, I mean, I think they, they had label support. I mean, they were, they were already on a major label in Norway. They were already with uh, Polygram, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, um, you know, that was that was a big reason for me to to just kind of take off and go. Sure. Was 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 going to be? I thought, okay, at the very least, I'll have an, i the best demo I could possibly have, and with that, I can probably do anything, you know. Yeah. So if it yeah. doesn't work out um and you know when times got rough uh in in various ways i often thought why didn't i just do that no i'm kidding everybody i'm kidding <laughs> um but uh no i loved being in that band and and i was proud of us and i thought we i thought the band was amazing
0: once you got over there and started writing did you know that everything was going to click at that time right away um it was there were some things that were
1: a little odd but but I had a great time, you know, it was just, we were, I was so young and mm-hmm. I was 21. Uh, Ronnie was 20, um, you know, there, I think the oldest person in the band was the drummer Diesel and I think he might've been 24 or 25. Um, so it was just an adventure, you know, I, I yeah. didn't I wasn't scared, I didn't have any, I hadn't I hadn't uh, learned to stage fright yet. You know, I, okay. I, I, that came later. Um, but, stage fright? Uh, yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I didn't have any of that. I just was eager to, to work and do it, you know. Um, so I got there and and I didn't I didn't rewrite everything. I just and I wasn't yet a really great writer either. I wasn't really very good. Um, mm-hmm. I could I could write melodies. I could hear good melodies uh, lyrically, and, you know, but uh, but I didn't want to alter too much. There were great. There were some great hooks. Uh seven C's was pretty much left. The chorus was left. A lot of them, the chorus would be left more or less intact, and I would change verse melodies and lyrics. Okay. Um, some things I completely re- redid but uh you know, because we didn't have a lot of time. I had to I had to redo whatever I was gonna do in just a few days. And then wow. I was in and then I was in the studio recording. And the first day was obviously looking back on it, I'm like, how was I not nervous? You know. Right. But I had, I was, I just wasn't, I don't know why. Um, But I went in and I, uh, the first song I sang was Seven Seas and everybody was in the control room and um, knocked that out, went to dinner, came back and did uh, the ballot without your love. So the Mm. first day was, was those two songs and everybody was just like, okay,
0: (laughs) it's going to go pretty well. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Does the studio go pretty well for you? Are you pretty quick in there or? I I I can be. Um,
1: yeah. I I. F- it's interesting that you ask that because I find that since I've uh, behind me is my home studio. Yep. Um, since I've since I've been recording a lot of stuff at home, which started uh, about two thousand eight or so. Um, I feel like I've become slower because nobody is around, so wow. I can really hone in on detail Mm -hmm. and uh so often what i'll do if i have a song to record is um take take my time you know because i'm not there's no reason to be there's an upside and a downside to that you know the 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 upside is i can you know it's not like okay you're done and then you later you go oh i should have fixed that or you know uh most of uh, the time when i when i send my vocals off to get mixed, um, I'm happy with it mm-hmm. you know, and I know I'm happy with it. So mm-hmm. that's the advantage of it, but it, it uh, I do find that I'm um, uh, a bit slower when I'm alone. So I've been thinking lately that it would be good for me to start getting back into a studio with a producer and just um,
0: get that pressure again. Mm-hmm. Well, at least you're not paying for a studio at home. That's a big benefit. Right, that's a huge <laughs> benefit I would yeah. think. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. All right. So you guys do the album. And now that album was big over in Norway, right? It wasn't as big in the States? Yeah. To, um, Japan? Nights, well, what happened was Knights
1: Nights came out and took off in Norway. And then the record company, R.A.N.R. guy, who we're still friends with, sweet, sweetheart of a guy, um, he just started sending it to all his affiliates uh, at Polygram. So Hmm. he would send it to Germany and he'd send it to Holland because I believe Holland was the um, at that time was was the home base for Polygram. It was originally a European company before it it spread out everywhere. Um, And we were if you buy, like, for example, any album from from Europe that's on Polygram from that from those days, it's going to be Vertigo in Europe, Mercury in the U.S., Hmm. so those were that's how they did it um so so within a few months all of a sudden okay it's it's out in norway it's going really well we we did a you know we played shows it was it was really going great but then all of a sudden it's um the guy in holland wants to um release it all over and change the cover better more national so that's what that's what happened um and it started to take off kind of the buzz started and then Japan started to get a buzz. Uh, and then the uh, an a r guy in New York, um, Jim Lewis, who uh, who had signed a lot of really, really good stuff um, and was right next door to Derek Shulman, another amazing a r guy who signed um, Bon Jovi and Cinderella and okay. Kiss, Kiss and all around. Um, so this was Mercury Records. So they they called us and said we want to uh, we want to take the deal from Norway and we want to have a new deal for three albums with you guys. Nights will be the first release in America, and we're gonna repackage and um, maybe change a few things, add another song or two, and that's what we did. Wow. Okay. So that came out in '85. So Nights came out in Europe uh, probably fall or so of, of '84. And then it mm-hmm. came out. I don't know exactly what month it came out in the states, but I, I want to say um, I want to say uh, uh not
0: probably by summer of '85 it was out. Okay, so I think when Tell No we, Tales came out in what '87. '87, yeah. So did you do any touring in the U.S. Off with nights? A little.
1: Um, yeah. We were. What 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 basically happened was they they put us up in a house in Long Island, and we started writing a lot. Um, okay. they wanted us to they wanted us to really work on the follow-up so they were they were promoting nights and and they we made a video for seven seas it wasn't very good but <laughs> it got airplay it got airplay on um a few it got in mtv of course um not a lot but enough and mm-hmm. there was another station called u68 in new jersey that was playing the shit out of it so wow. um so there was a buzz, and some radio stations were picking up on Seven C's and playing that. So there was an energy. There was a good buzz on the band, and we were writing Tell No Tales, and we were in this house for for a couple months, rehearsing and writing, and going out and being young, you know, early twenties rock yeah. rockers, you know. Um, so uh, at some point, and then we were booked on to open for Motley Crue in Europe on the Theater Pain Tour. So um, we went over to prepare for that. And then somewhere along the way, um, they decided that they didn't want to give us tour support for that, um, the label, which is what they did in those days. when mm-hmm. I suppose some labels still do. Um, but uh, they decided that, no, we, we'd rather put them back in the studio, which mm-hmm. I, I was so angry about it that I called our, our manager at the time, Doc McGee, who was, you know, who Doc right. McGee, was. um, and we were the third band on the roster, uh, it was Bon Jovi, Motley Crue and us.
0: Hmm.
1: And I, I, because Motley was with Doc, I, I called Doc and said, you gotta get a, you gotta keep us on this tour. Yeah. This is going to be life-changing for the band. This'll, this'll right. mean you a lot. Think so? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, um, and, and we got into a, he, 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 he didn't think he thought it was better. We go in the studio, and 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 you know I don't. There maybe there was another reason that I we we never found out about. But for whatever reason, there was a rift because of that between um, the band and Doc, and so Doc uh, Doc said go get another manager. So yeah. so we you really, left. You really uh, pissed him off, huh? You know I suppose. <laughs> maybe. That's, I, but I suppose if you really look at it, that if that's all it took. Yeah. I, I I always and I I love Doc. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen him in many years, but but I do have a soft spot for him. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I, I suppose when I look at it realistically, he must not have believed that strongly band if he was willing to just let
0: it go. go.
1: But um, but we so we just kept writing. We had we still had the label. We still had all the label support. So the hunt became uh, began for a new manager and we were all. The label was, uh, you know, reaching out to people, and uh, what happened was uh, there was a, the sister-in-law of D. Snyder worked at our label, okay. and um, gave Knights uh, a cassette of nights to D. So uh, D was on a flight across the U.S. and put his put it in his Walkman, and uh, by the time he landed, he, he was. Out of his mind, flipped out, wow. called called his manager um, Mark Puma, and uh, who managed also Zebra, and said, "I want to, I want you to sign this band, and and I think we should fly to Norway." And so, but but we didn't. Th- the way we found out was we were in Norway writing, and uh, the phone rang, and I I'm I'm pretty sure I picked it up. I don't know why, or at least uh, somehow I was on the phone. It was a long time ago, and right. uh, it was D. Snyder on the other end, and he and he said, uh, "You know, I love your I love your band, and <laughs> I want to come over with my with my manager, and, and uh, he, you know uh, he, he's interested in in working with you guys." So they came over. There's actually pictures wow. uh, that, that were in the newspaper over there in the studio of D and the manager and the band and our producer, you know. Right, right. And uh, and we had a great time and and I love D. D is, I don't see him much, but uh, we became pretty close um, in the 80s and late 80s and uh, at periods of time. And um, he's just a, a sweet, sweet man and uh, kind of a big brother thing, sure. you know. Um
0: so so that's how we got our next manager and then we finished tell no Tales and went on. and that, and that kind of gave you guys a name in the us, right? Tell no tales. yeah, I mean that 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 changed that. I mean, but again, the buzz from nights was there.
1: Mm-hmm. It just was it was you know, I mean it wasn't it didn't explode, but it was people knew who we were. We could have mm-hmm. at that point, even after nights came out and we did play a few a few gigs, I mean a lot of people, would would have shown up i mean it probably would have been like sold out club shows but obviously we were trying to do more um so tell no tales came out Ten Thousand lovers came out we made a video that was awful (laughs) and it was was rejected by the label well it was actually rejected sorry it was rejected by mtv so um so we ended up we had a tour booked in europe so we ended up um going to london and making the video that everybody uh, up on the pillars uh-huh yeah so uh, but um, uh, mtv classics and vh1 classic if that even still exists i don't know yeah, i don't does, even know they still uh they they liked to play the uh rejected video for fun which ah. used to drive me crazy when vh1 classic had their metal thing uh-huh. in the early 2000s or whatever yeah yeah They'd always play that friggin video from the one did you them. like the video or no I hate it. We all hated it. Y'all hated it. We thought it was ridiculous. Yeah. (laughs) Is it, is it out on YouTube? Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's, so there's two for 10,000. One is, you know, the pillars and the one that was popular when the band was sort of taken off and, uh, and then this, the, the one I'm talking about, was uh, featured a hot
0: dog stand. <laughs> well, that's all I do. Oh, need geez. To... yeah, that, that's enough right there. That's all you need to say. Right. <laughs> now, how many singles did you have off that? You had that, and then was uh, what was everyone's the other single? Star. Everyone's, everyone's a star, right? Yeah, we had we had ten uh, thousand
1: lovers, and everyone's a
0: star. And we have, and we made
1: the everyone's a star video in in London as well on a rooftop. Why didn't you uh,
0: release Child's Play? Oh, why didn't re- we release Northern Lights? You know? Right. What, what, um, I mean, the ballads were big at that time.
1: I know uh, that was another situation, not that, and just as frustrating as the Motley Crue tour in Europe. Mm. Um, the label, we, we had such a such good momentum going. We we did the uh, Striper Loudness tour. Um, Striper was huge. Um, it was all arenas. It was wonderful, and you know, still friends, good friends with Michael to this day. Yeah. Uh, and the band, the Oz, everybody. Um, and, uh, you know, then we went on to the Twisted Sister Great White Tour. And that was amazing. And we were just growing. And uh, we thought, yeah, the ballad. Yeah. Put out one of the, everybody's putting out, ba- put out. Uh, we, we thought Northern Lights was the one. And um, they said, no, go back in the studio. We want we want you to, you know, we want another album. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, oh, gosh, you know, because I really do agree with you. And that's been something not to and I, I don't dwell on the past. And sure, I can't. I, I try not to get into regrets too much because they don't get you anywhere. But right. Uh, but I definitely that that was a pivotal decision that they made there. I think just yeah. one one video, Northern Lights, one more.
0: I think things would be pretty different. Mm. You know? Yeah, yeah. So you were successful in that and then uh, intuition came out. Yeah, what year was that? 89. So 89. yeah, but, okay. but,
1: but remember, like the tell no tales thing was in Norway and, and uh and we didn't go to Japan yet, uh but it was it was it was big all over Europe, but in particular the Scandinavian countries and mm-hmm. Norway tell no tales was number one, number one for a long time. And and there was one point in time where 10,000 Lovers was number one in Norway on the main pop chart and, and, uh, tell No tales was number one. So we had the number one single number one album nice. Uh, and it went, uh, platinum there. And, uh, we did a lot of big, sh- I mean, by the time we were done promoting that album over there, we were headlining arenas in Norway, you know, mm. uh five, 10, 15,000 seat venues. And that's a lot for a little tiny country, you know? Yeah. Um, and pl- on TV all the time, you know, and we won uh, the Norwegian Grammy Award for Rock Album of the Year for Tell No Tales.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And you're in yeah. the Hall of Fame, right? I just, yeah, 2019. Yeah, I was, I'm the
1: only American. That was amazing. And yeah, that had to feel great. Yeah, it was a nice, uh a really nice thing. So the, all of that was going on. So whatever was happening anywhere else, we were touring Europe and playing, you know, and, and working, playing a lot of shows. Um, and we, uh, so so when we when we ended up not putting the ballot out like we wanted, we ended up um, Ronnie had this idea of um, going to Spain and writing intuition. So we went to Spain and um, had these little little uh, in a complex, had these little apartments uh, where awesome went to the beach and laid mm-hmm. out and wrote songs and we had uh, some demo equipment and um we got most of it written there and then finished up a few things uh when we got back to norway and
0: um made do, do, do you go like why why go to spain do you get inspiration being in certain places like that or why would you go write an album well, somewhere it's, else it's,
1: it's uh it's beautiful um i believe a lot of uh i believe we were we were working on it uh toward the winter and i just think okay. that uh, the guys wanted some warmth you know because it's like brutal (laughs) yeah um and also uh a couple of guys um got these little condos for like really cheap like ridiculous so cheap you wouldn't believe me if i told you like and they they a few of the guys in the two guys in the band maybe three and uh and some friends of ours um all bought up a bunch of these. So they were probably promoting it in Norway, mm. different European countries, and uh, they, people were buying them up. So there were a lot of Brits, Norwegians, Germans, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and it was great. I love it there. And we had a great time, and um, we wrote great songs, and, and we went back and recorded it. And and that that album did well. That, did that do as well as Tell No Tales, or were they about I equal? I think I think they were about neck and neck, sales-wise, in the States. But... Uh, mm and uh and in europe um tell uh, T- uh, tonight i'm falling um was a was a pretty big song in 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 europe um mm-hmm. but japan that oh. that album was like huge there and, huge in uh, japan huge and when i mean we were really big in japan um, <laughs> but um uh, so so our, i remember we were we did a headline tour in the states we played a lot in europe um and then uh, our manager called and said, "Well, um, your album is 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 gold in Japan, and um, we're we're booking a tour." Um, and then the next week, he called us and said, "Well, uh, they they put the tour up on sale, and in like if I if I guess, I think the venues were somewhere between five to ten thousand each one, you know, seeders. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole tour sold out in thirty minutes." <laughs> There you go. <laughs> we were like, "What?" You know, so that was a big moment, a fun moment for us. I think a lot of bands um in that era had had probably a similar story, you know. Sure. sure. Uh, but we it was so fun. I mean, it was the it was probably oh, it had to be a time. blast. It was so fun. I mean, it was it was the first time we got off the airplane and there were fans at the airport. <laughs> you know, and I was yeah. like, "Wow, you know, this is we're the Beatles."
0: Right, know? right. That's what you're thinking.
1: it feels like for five minutes
0: um yeah
1: no but it was it was that that whole first uh, japanese tour was incredible
0: and then so okay so then after all of that did you go right back into the studio uh so we came back
1: from japan and uh there was a little tension in the band um and the drummer that we had for just for the intuition album he just he just couldn't take it whatever whatever it was, you know, so he left and um and we we started looking for somebody, and we, we ended up with uh, an American because for whatever reason we were back in the states and um holding auditions, so uh we tried out a few people um I was really good friends with Sebastian back then, so he he suggested um. He had a, a buddy, um, buddy of his named Bam Bam, and um, he came down from Canada and auditioned for us. Um, but we ended up going with John Macaluso from Long Island, who is a ridiculously good drummer. Like he's hmm. really good. Um, probably a little more proggy than we would, nor- than TNT would normally um, go for. Hmm. But um, really interesting as a side note, I, I have a Patreon. Uh, page and uh i hold these uh in addition to my live streams that i do i uh do these listening parties yeah. where i p- pipe the music in really high quality um and uh we've been going through all the albums and the other day we did uh realized fantasies and um boy it was really like hadn't listened to it in years and i was like gosh <laughs> drumming's really good on this i mean the album in general was better than i had remembered
0: than you remember um, yeah.
1: It was a hard album to make i mean making making realized fantasies was was put a lot of strain on the band we had changed labels too by the way we left uh mercury and uh our manager was good friends with uh jason flom at atlantic so we made that shift uh from we left mercury on a friday and signed with atlantic for on a monday <laughs> oh geez and um and started making realized fantasies started you know shopping producers and and um yeah it was a difficult album to make but
0: listening to it fresh the other day mm-hmm. it's pretty good good were you guys split like whereas half in norway and half here when you were trying to do that or did you all well we tried doing the whole record in in long island
1: uh at a beautiful studio called cove city sound i believe it's still there um uh-huh. with uh, a producer that was not a rock producer rick wake oh no and his claimed his claim to fame before us was taylor dane and mariah carey so why'd you make that decision he was just really he really wanted to do it and he was a nice guy he was young he was um british he had a great energy about him we just liked him and um and the studio was beautiful and so uh he kind of um courted me i was the one that was really living there Okay. And i live i lived very close to to him so he would he, i remember going out to dinner a few times with my manager and him and he was just like i really want to do this so i finally gave in and and said yeah so it was probably my fault but uh <laughs> but right. it didn't go really well and we ended up having to sneak the tapes into my uh little mazda miata that i had yeah. this was like 1991 or something and um and took them. I drove them into Manhattan to Gary Lyons, um, mm-hmm. who's a well-known engineer. He worked with he worked on Queen, uh, Night at the Opera, and mm-hmm. tons of mm-hmm. tons of huge things. And um, just here we are. Here's the, here are the tapes, and and he he made them. You know, we fixed a few things, uh, and he made them sound made the album sound great. Yeah. So this was what early '90s by now. This is '90. The album was released in 92, so this is probably late 91 that we were mixing and mastering and doing all that.
0: So that's around the time that the the genre killed itself, pretty much. You had so I'm many bands out there. It,
1: I'm glad you put it that way, because that's how I always put it. Because people yeah. always say, oh, grunge killed. No, it didn't. There, there were yeah. just too many bands, too many signings.
0: Um, there was a ton many- of bands
1: too many bands they all we all the same clothes same
0: hair same same everything you know it's just like okay you know i mean i Uh, think i think grunge assisted but i think it really did it it itself in
1: my feeling is that if grunge
0: for whatever reason didn't
1: come along at the time that it did um i think the harder edged metal would have taken over and it kind of did too metallica Mm -hmm. had their biggest album around the same time so
0: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah. But yeah, there was definitely a lot of bands that were very similar. Yes.
1: We were, I feel like we were kind of the oddball band. I think we, I don't think anybody sounded really like us. And I don't think we sounded like anybody, um, but we, we all have the similar look.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so then so
1: when I did you
0: leave? I used to open up. No. Yeah. Oh, we froze up. Sorry. Here. We got a little. yeah yeah yeah. when when did you leave the band you left the band right
1: no we we just kind of we went to japan and did another really successful tour for realized fantasies Uh Um, but in the states it was too late by the time the record came out nirvana was already Mm
0: -hmm. on the
1: run and uh, we had so many good songs on that album in retrospect like lionheart great Mm -hmm. ballad um and and some other songs that i think would have made great videos and great singles but they were just uh they, they put it out they printed x amount of copies and I and uh, and that was it and and in japan it, it went gold again um and it did okay in europe not great um but because everybody just kind of except for japan everybody gave up japan was in japan that music was just starting to take off mm. so in the early 90s when it died over here a lot of bands like Malmstein Malmsteen in, somewhere in the early 90s sa- signed a million-dollar record
0: deal in Japan. Really? I did not know that.
1: Yeah, and there were quite a few bands that, uh, that really focused on that market because they were 80s music. They were 80s-grade, yeah. you know?
0: Huh. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah. So, so when we, we got on the airplane uh, after the tour in 92, and we just, we, it, it wasn't even that we didn't like each other. We were burnt out. We had mm. worked, we had worked so hard from 84 to 92, like nonstop pretty much. And, and, and it came so close to like cracking, you know, um, yeah, yeah. in the States and the rest of Europe. And, you know, and it was just like, we were right, right there. Right and there. Can get digging. it it didn't go over the edge and we were just like burnt out and it's, yeah. we could we could have you know just kept going we could have looking back on it we if we were smart because uh ronnie signed a really good deal in japan with his band vagabond right right after that in fact i think it was even being negotiated while we were on tour um oh wow and i also signed um a, a deal for uh, the morning wood album that i ended up
0: doing um, now that that was a little different, though, right? Oh yeah, it was an acoustic. Album. Yeah, 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 you started getting in the acoustic stuff because you had a few acoustic albums.
1: I have. I've had three, really. Yeah. You like the acoustic? I I like. Well, it started in in at that point in the mid nineties. It started just from jamming with guys in Long Island like Al Petrelli mm-hmm. um, and uh, Danny Miranda, who went on to play with Queen, with Paul Rogers, and also mm-hmm. now now he's been Blue Easter Cold. He's been with Blue Easter Cold for years um killer musicians. Um Chuck Bombanti from Soraya was the drummer. And uh and we were a really good little band. And so we decided to make a record. And yeah. I I just thought, you know, let's make a let's make an album that's uh kind of a 70s cover thing. But um we had four originals on there uh that we co-wrote all of us. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. Goofy name, I know, but um <laughs> but it was really, really, I think it's a cool, a really cool record. I'm proud of it as part of my catalog. And, um, and then I did the, uh, the Mercury train in 2010, which was kind of a retrospective of my career done in an acoustic, uh, approach, but I had a full band and I had there were electric guitars, but it was a completely different, uh, Yeah. You
0: reworked a lot of those songs. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, And then I had the, uh, wildflowers project with bumblefoot in uh,
0: 2013
1: right how'd you guys meet we met um originally i actually auditioned him for a solo band that i was going to do and should Uh have done in the early (laughs) early 90s oh wow when i first met him and i just ended up not not doing the band Huh. Um because I oh I remember why because TNT got back together. <laughs> right, there you go. <laughs> so um, but uh um and then we we hadn't spoken or seen each other in you know 20 years uh uh-huh. and uh more uh probably well I don't know. Uh, I can't can't count anymore, but uh we ended up uh running into each other at NAM in 2012 and uh hit it off and I said, Hey, I'm working on this uh I'm I'm midway through this acoustic thing. Do you want to want to just kind of jump on it? And he said, yeah. So uh, that's how that happened.
0: Okay. Okay. Now I noticed some of the uh, bands that you do, you add your name to the title.
1: No, I don't. I, 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 I only did that because uh, well, with wildflowers, it was my, it was, you know, uh-huh. kind of my, my solo thing. But uh the Mercury Train um was the label, you know, the label that's what they want. They they really what they really wanted was a uh they knew I was playing a lot of acoustic shows with that lineup in New York, and uh-huh. they thought it was cool. So they said, Do you want to do an acoustic album? Um and I said, Yeah, and here's my idea, and they loved it. Um, and so you know, be the label wants that to be put in the forefront
0: sure Um, try and sell
1: with with with, uh, the you know the wildflowers it was the intention was that it was going to be a solo kind of thing and i i I added the wildflowers thing because i thought it was cool my my ex-wife was singing backing vocals in the band and we had um, another girl cassandra Sotos, playing violin so i thought wildflowers sounds cool you know yeah um so that was what that was. And then and then these last couple of albums that came out in 2019, that's that's all the label that puts Okay.
0: that stuff there because they're trying to sell records, you know. Yeah, attach attach a known name yeah. to it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was uh I was listening to the Starbreaker stuff. And one of the yeah. things about you that I like is your versatility. Like mm-hmm. you like you sing the way you sing, but like Starbreakers, some of that stuff's pretty heavy. And then you have yeah. stuff like the acoustic stuff and you're like all yeah. over the place. It's great. It's, it's a, it's a blessing and a
1: curse, you know? Um, it's, it's just, uh, I work with a lot of singers, um, and I have a, for, for 30 years now, um, been also a vocal coach. And, mm-hmm. uh, um, what I, what I try to instill in singers is to, uh, find their, their thing you know and for me it was like when I started out I already liked everything but I loved I was you know I was a kid I was uh in my teens I I just fell in love with metal and Mm. uh and so that that was the catalyst for me to pursue the career was the metal you know and the Mm. hard rock the scorpions judas priest yeah you were in that metal Rainbow. Yeah. So so UFO. So that was like my my thing. So it just it was just a luck synergy, good timing that what I loved and what was popular were, Mm. you know, at the same time. And but but as time went on. I wanted I wanted to do stuff, other stuff I loved, you know. Sure. And of course, uh, when I finished the Morning Wood album, which was I think they expected a rock album. And, uh, uh, and when I when I gave it to them, they were like, ah, what do we do? What do we do with this? You know? Um, but yeah, no, I I I'm working on stuff that nobody's heard. Um, that's uh, kind of 70s folk folky, you know. Uh really very, very kind of Laurel Canyon uh, you know, vibe. Uh I just like the, the whole acoustic thing for me really started seriously in about two thousand seven or eight. And I would go see my friends in New York that were just really talented singer songwriters um, performing in these little venues with great sound. And I thought, gosh, it's so intimate and so naked, you know, Mm -hmm. and you can hear everything. And I thought I need to do that. I need to challenge myself without all the bells and whistles and a big stage. And um, I think it'll make me a better singer and a better performer. So I started doing it, and it was nerve wracking. I because, was going
0: to ask, was it nerve wracking?
1: Yeah, it was made me made me crazy. So I kept doing it because uh, I got so nervous. Uh, everybody was right there, you know. I could <laughs> see I could see their faces like right yeah. there, and um, and I couldn't. You know, you can't hide anything. If there was a bad vocal thing, it was it right. There. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So.
1: Now tell it me. has been. It has, I love. I still love doing. I am doing acoustic shows right now. I'm playing all over the states. Um, I have two shows. Uh, at the end of this month in um, in uh, Maine and uh, Massachusetts. Was it
0: March 26? You got a show.
1: 27th. Yeah, yeah. Boston, so. Maine, and uh, Worcester.
0: Or- okay. Mass. Okay 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 and one of the things that you've released well i don't remember when but the echo bat stuff oh yeah last uh wow recently right two years, two years now yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. That, yeah. I, I love that me too did you only do the one song we did um
1: and it, it's it's partially my fault um we we Damn had you. well i know um <laughs> we had we had we did have some some other ideas on the table Um, but, uh, I'm, I'm sometimes notorious. I have been known to be, to get sidetracked and, uh, when the pandemic hit, so at some point in before the pandemic, probably in late 2019, I recorded and finished writing that song Mm. and sent it to everybody. And they were like, wow, you know, James and, and Joel and, and Matt, they were, this is amazing. Let's keep going. You know? um and then life happened and yeah. other things were going on and um but then when the pandemic hit i said hey guys i mean we have the song it's it's almost done um i i had done all the vocals um i said maybe we should just touch it up and and add some little you know things on it and uh mix it and do a little you know pandemic video and then put it out and so yeah it we did that's a fun song fun video too i know yeah Yeah. it was it was a nice moment um yeah and um and and i would love they're 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 such talented guys and i i'm so blessed and so lucky to have those that Mm -hmm. level of musicianship be even interested in in working with me and yeah uh,
0: um well that's awesome i i hope i hope we hear more of that in the future Me me too yeah yeah let me ask you this did you audition
1: for judas priest no, uh, they got that wrong. So basically, my and honestly, this is secondhand from my manager at the time. But apparently, he was good friends with um, Judas Priest's uh, manager, or he, okay. and I think she's still the manager. Um, and uh, what I was told was that they were down to three people, and I was one of them. And they requested more. They they wanted to. Uh, they were happy with what they heard. They wanted to see me. And apparently it was about the hair because uh, my, at the time my hair was long and, and they, I guess they wanted short hair to be like Rob. Oh,
0: they didn't want to. And long I was hair.
1: like, I want to cut my hair. Right. you shave it. <laughs> For that gig. Well, yeah. I, wouldn't have, least, I wouldn't have shaved, but I would at least would have cut it. You know,
0: I bet you would have shaved it. I probably would have. Yeah. yeah, yeah. To get that gig. <laughs> but, but yeah. really
1: in, in all honesty, it would have been a, kind of a dream to sing the songs uh-huh. I loved the band so much, but having done other things, uh-huh. uh, where I was, um, replacing someone that the band was known for an iconic figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, um, I look back on that and think, I'm, I'm glad it didn't work out yeah. because the pressure yeah. of me living up to my hero, Rob, one of my heroes, Rob Halford. Um, I, uh, yeah,
0: would have. Would yeah. Have. Yeah. Tell me about your, um, your music lessons.
1: I have, a, I have a vocal course
0: during the pandemic. Um,
1: you know, it was like, well, uh, I've been thinking about doing a vocal course for years. Maybe I can try to put something together. And uh, with the help of a very talented partner, um, this course was put together. And uh, it's brilliant. I mean, uh, and it's not brilliant because I'm. it's mine. It's just it, with the partner that I had really did a fantastic job helping me um, kind of put, put all the stuff together that I wanted to have in, in there
0: mm-hmm. and
1: contributed quite a lot. Um, but uh, it, it, it really turned out great. We've had probably 50 singers um, to this point um, go through the course and who are currently on it. Um, and, and it's just a, a really cool thing that I, I just to called the rock singer society. Mm-hmm. So if anybody wants to check it out, it's the rock singer society.com. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I also offer on there, um, which you can book yourself uh, one-on-one online vocal lessons. So that's, that's one of my, uh, one of my projects I'm working on. And I have a Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash Tony Harnell official. Uh-huh. And, uh, that-
0: the oh um tell me we're, we're back <laughs> this, dang this technology i
1: know are we, yeah. are we back yeah yeah we're back okay so um my patreon is uh patreon.com forward slash tony harnell official and i do live streams I, uh, have listening parties, really high quality sound for both the live streams and the listening parties, um, and cute a lot of meet and greets, Q and A's, there's exclusive merch and all kinds of cool stuff. And when I do shows, there's, uh, I do a lot of behind the scenes stuff and, and live streams from, from the shows as well. So that's, Fine. that's a cool thing I've got going. And, um, and some other stuff that, uh, of course I want to, want to put out a, uh, new record because i i put out two in 2019 technically technically three i guess if you count the to the tnt live album uh Mm -hmm. came out but uh but i did two studio albums in 2019 and i've sort of um i don't know i I wasn't over the moon about about uh the second one so i it's not that it, it just i just wasn't I didn't feel great about it. I didn't do a lot of the songwriting on it. It was sort of a project I agreed to do. And I just stepped back at that point. And everybody was going crazy during the pandemic to put stuff out. Yeah. And I, at first I was like, I got, I felt pressure. But then I said, no, 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 no. You know, I don't want to feel that. So I just want to take this time when the world is shut down, just sort of uh, live life, you know? Yeah. yeah. So I, I took a bit of a... Um, a rest, I guess, from music and everything, and and uh, but and I've been playing a lot of shows, and I'm ready to play more shows, but I'm now ready to make some to put out some music. Some music.
0: Nice. Are you gonna do a, a band situation, or is it gonna be a solo album? Probably a solo album at least first, mm-hmm. you know, because um, it's something
1: I've just always wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So I just want to fulfill that, and I have a lot of songs. So. Okay. Um I'm actually uh songs I've never tried tried shopping a deal for. Okay. So I'm I'm now starting that process.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I look forward to hearing it, man. Me too. Thank you. And um I think recently uh TNT reissued some out. You guys reissued the first two records, right? Yeah. Th- um the second, the second
1: and third. So second and no third, tell, okay. Tell, tell, tell no tales and intuition. Um and uh um, I'm actually I don't know if they're officially out yet, but I think you can pre-order them. Okay. Um, but I, I did post about it on my uh, Facebook page. So yeah, I saw they, that. If anybody's interested, and they can go to uh, Rock Candy, which is the label that's the reissue. They do a lot of '80s reissues. Mm-hmm. It's a great company, and it, it's a it's a a very specific reissue. It's um it's it's a special CD remastered CD. Uh, so it's not uh, going to be. It doesn't affect anything digitally. So Universal still owns everything as as of now. Um, okay. But any label can come along that wants to kind of make a special edition thing and make a deal with uh, the owner of the of the product, and that's what they did. So
0: really, that I didn't know we didn't that
1: oversee any of it. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Wow. Okay. They do what they want. <laughs> they do what they want Just but do it. But but I but I but I'm happy it was rock candy because we did some great interviews for the booklets. So it's a kind of a new inner inner
0: booklet oh, cool. um,
1: with new interviews about the recording of each record.
0: Mm-hmm. So okay. it's kind of a, a neat package. So is it just going to be on CD or is it gonna be on vinyl as well? Vinyl is
1: Sadly, I wish it was on vinyl, but mm-hmm. they're just doing C D. But I'm gonna
0: keep working on them to, to do a short run of vinyl. Yeah. Well I'll watch for that. That's that's awesome. All right, man. Well, listen, I appreciate it's been a, you. It ta- was a long one,
1: but it was it was a little, we covered a lot of topics, huh?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to chat with me here. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. You're, you're a great interview. So well, I thank you very much. I thank appreciate. You. I, appreciate it. I appreciate. All it. right, buddy. Thank you. You take All care, right, man. Bye.
1: Okay. Thanks, everybody. Bye. bye.
0: That's all for this week. Join us next week for another episode of the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show podcast. Available on all your favorite podcast listening platforms.